Let us now go to Tucson, Arizona, where Dr. Jennifer Vertolin is standing by. She is an internationally recognized animal behavior expert. She teaches animal conservation at the University of Arizona, and she's got two books that everybody should go by, Wild Connection, What Animal Courtship and Mating Tell Us About Human Relationships. I think we're going to talk about that today, something along those lines. Raised by Animals, the surprising new science of animal family dynamics. Subscribe to Dr. Jennifer's newsletter. Go to jenniferverdelin.com. Subscribe. I'm looking at a cute little, is that a mountain lion on your YouTube channel? It's a cute little <laughs> wild connection. Is it? <laughs> yeah, Wild Connection TV. I'm looking at a tortoise, and now you're out in the Sonora Desert. Wild Connection TV. We'll talk about that later and follow you on Twitter, Real Dr. Jen. So I just did an interview with an epidemiologist who, when we wrapped up, he said to me, this is something that our generation that nobody understands, that, that only the greatest generation understands. This is the first time since World War II that Americans will have to make a shared sacrifice. And, of course, you know, the shared sacrifice is stay home and binge watch The Shahs of Sunset. He didn't say <laughs> that, but, you know, my father went off to liberate the Pacific. I'm binge-watching Jeopardy. I am trying to remain optimistic. I'm getting a lot of negativity from this coronavirus, damn it. Right. <laughs> and I refuse to, I am in denial about the severity of this. So talk me off the ledge. <laughs> well, you know, look, I, I mean, I, I get it, right? When it's I mean really... off the ledge, I mean, tell me why I should just jump to my... Oh, <laughs> no, there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic. And, okay. you know, I think that that um, regardless of the bumpy start, there were pockets and there are growing pockets of people that are are cooperating, are um, really trying to maintain some uh you know, there's been competition, which we see with hoarding behavior, mm -hmm. but then there's been the, the opposite, the cooperation. So more stores reserving hours for the elderly, um, people donating to food banks. And, and that's the sort of tension that comes with being a social animal is, mm -hmm. you know, there's the, the need to cooperate to sort of maintain social unity. And then there's the competitiveness, which is where you're scrambling for potentially shortfalls in resources. And so I think that what we're seeing emerge is a really huge potential for global cooperation. If we could all get kind of on the same page and coordinate some of these efforts and, and there's potentially hope for that. There's also some worrying signs when the disease is labeled in a racist way and when, you know, uh, certain government officials are trying to secure sole access to potential treatments. I think that, you know, um, goes against the idea of, of really um, cooperating, cooperating and engaging mutually for the global good. Mm -hmm. But 
you know, at the local level, there's tons that we can do. And I think um, there's also treatments that are kind of emerging. They're still in question, but there's additional trials, you know, so that could help stem this this wave before, uh, you know, to buy time for uh, a, um, a vaccine to be developed. So right. I think there's lots of, and we're learning a lot about each other. The environment is cleaning up. I mean, dolphin returned to Venice canals in a matter of days when the pollution cleared. Right. Now, whether or not we use that information to modify our behavior and have a better appreciation uh, for outdoors and clean air, which even in the 1918 pandemic, open air uh, hospitals and open air therapy you know, shows some uh, real benefit. So being outside um, is is helpful. And, of course, you don't want to crowd in areas where other people are, but find a, a less traveled path and go for a walk. Uh, try not to fall and break your legs so we don't inundate the hospitals. Right. But, you know, I took a tumble and ended up um, in a, a cactus uh <laughs> Pile. So mm. that was fun. And use <laughs> duct tape. Duct tape has all kinds of uses, right? And it works really great for taking out cactus spines. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, ripped them right out. That was, you know, even those tiny little ones. So that's interesting. Uh, I, 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 have a, you. I have a lot of duct tape, but I don't want to go into my dating life. Um, <laughs> CO2 is disappearing or coming back i think in wuhan they 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 did satellite surveillance of china and for the first time in a generation smog was clearing up yeah so the planet you know the planet cleans itself in many ways doesn't it the virus is i i don't want to well let, let me i don't want to go there there is here's here's the thing about the reaction to this virus. Everybody has an agenda. And now is the time for critical thinking. Right. That is what I'm asking of myself. We have to think critically and everybody is suspect. Everybody has an agenda. Everybody is pushing either a product or an ideology, or a, a political agenda. So I'm trying to be careful here. One yeah. of the things that that I'm not thinking, that I was thinking up until this pandemic, was this country needs something to wake it up. You know, we, 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 we have a, a public health infrastructure that is crumbling, that... Before the pandemic, we were willing to live with 60,000 Americans each year dying because they don't have health insurance. That's acceptable. We're willing to live with uh, an epidemic of suicides from guns. Something like 35,000 Americans die every year from gun violence. We're willing to live with that. We're willing to live with the fact that about 50,000, 50, 56,000 people die every year from the flu. We're willing to live with traffic fatalities we're willing to live with uh, greenhouse gas related deaths the cancers that come from fracking we're willing to live with all this risk and the pandemic all of a sudden we're not willing to to live with this risk 
we're being told that it it's going to be much larger than all these things combined. And I I have to believe, in order for to keep my sanity that it's not going to be as bad as people say it is. It's the uncertainty that's driving us nuts. Well, so, okay. A couple of things to unpack there. The first is that I I think you're right. One in critical thinking is necessary and it's, it's unfortunately not a skill that has necessarily been reinforced in our educational system Mm -hmm. uh, for, you know, a while, which we see the consequences of that. The other thing is that I think the reason why people are willing to live with those lists of risks that you mentioned or why, um, you know, there hasn't been a consensus of, of real uh, action by everybody is because that doesn't really impact you. Right? right. So but this is one thing that transcends everything from whatever your religious affiliation, whatever your political affiliation, whether you have insurance or don't have insurance, because now it's not going to matter. You could have all the insurance in the world, but if there are no beds in the hospital, doesn't matter. So, so I think that this situation is transcending the boundaries of all those other risks that normally keep people feeling pretty comfortable, pretty safe, unless of course they're the one being impacted. And, and so it makes it much easier to ignore. It's sort of like, well, the prairie dog isn't worried for, you know, the other colony on the other side of the hill and, you know, far away where it can't see it about coyotes attacking them, right? Mm-hmm. They only care about coyotes that might come in their space. Right. And so I think that, again, we have an opportunity in this situation to recognize that that we are in fact globally connected and that things that impact others impact us and maybe we can carry that forward and hold on to it although you know sort of historically what happens is Unlike in ecosystems where you, you get, where I mentioned this last time, where you get a disturbance and then you get to resilience, uh, where it, it functions in a different but successful way. We, we might try to be return, turning to baseline and, and that may be connected to how bad it gets. I don't know. I think day to day, the average person is experiencing a situation where they, they've never experienced before, where they may live alone or they may live with uh, family members, but they can't connect with their friends and they can't physically connect with anybody outside of their, their sphere, however big or small that sphere is. And maybe from there can recognize how important it is to comfort each other, to be empathetic with each other, yeah. to, let's talk to, about that. Yeah, I mean, we're, you know, it's, it's critical for social animals and, and we're strongly motivated to seek the company of others, whether it's relatives or non-relatives. And this is especially true after isolation. So, so what we might see and what I know people are worrying about is we, ha- we impose these really, you know, intense social, physical distancing and, and reduction of social interactions. Uh, and, and people might start feeling lonely. And then as soon as, 
you lift the, you know, if you lift a hundred percent, then you might, people are going to naturally gravitate back to large groups and, and, and diverse groups and hugging and, and touching. (laughs) And, and so, because that's going to give you a hormone boost. This is what happens for social animals, whether it's people or prairie voles or, 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 or rats or parrots, frankly. Mm-hmm. We, yeah. we look for ways to help and comfort each other during times of physical isolation. Yeah. So let, let's talk about the, the peril of physical isolation. Uh, solitary confinement is considered t- torture. You take a, a prisoner and you put him in solitary. You limit his exposure to other prisoners to one hour a day. And even in prison, a prisoner wants to be around other prisoners. With all that comes with being around other prisoners, it's considered torture to deprive a prisoner of being around other prisoners. That, that speaks yeah. volumes to how, how social we are as animals. Because, you know, being in prison, especially here in the United States, I would assume I'd want to be left alone. I, I would be afraid to be around other prisoners. But solitary is punishment, is torture, drives you nuts. We yeah, need other people. This, yeah, we've known this for a while and, and with some unfortunate experiment, experiments done on other social animals. It leads to neurotic behavior, chronic stress, um, physical illness, um, even at the level of your, your chromosomes, there are these little, um, extensions called telomeres and, and they're sort of like, uh, you know, like, a uh, an eraser cap <laughs> mm-hmm. on a, on a long pencil. And, um, and they basically are involved in stabilizing chromosomes and how fast your cells die. And, um, and, and as you age, they naturally get shorter, right? So this sort mm-hmm. of happens. Uh, as you age, they just get shorter. And that's why older people have, you know, um, you know, uh, there's this sort of catalytic effect of, of aging that happens, not just with the immune systems, but cells and so forth. What do you mean well, catalytic? What, you- what does catalytic mean? Well, so you get this combination of cell death that happens much faster chromosomal instability and, uh, you know, reduced immune function. So that just happens naturally with age. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. now if you have, uh, if you're not old, uh, but you're relatively young and healthy and, and have, you know, all your telomeres in place, uh, chronic stress can cause uh, premature shortening of these telomeres. And there's a preliminary study in African gray parrots. So African grays are really social and they will bond with a one, generally one human, uh, keeping a, an African parrot in, uh, African gray parrot in isolation would be the equivalent of putting a human in solitary confinement. Right. And, you know, we've, we've, so we know that other social animals, the experiments that have been done, which are terrible, but have, uh, you know, basically confirmed how detrimental physical isolation, like babies, uh, baby macaques, which is a primate, when they're taken from their mother, they would prefer a fluffy object that simulates their mother over with no food available over a wired, uh, a wire kind of um, 
you know, mesh construction of an object that has food. So we will even forego food uh, for for a a hug, essentially. Yeah. How important (laughs) are hugs? They're huge. In fact, 20 second hugs, which is not advised with anybody that's not in your household who is, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, right now. Uh, but they are so important because they release all kinds of hormones. They're, in fact, they are crucial to the production of certain hormones. One that people might have heard about is oxytocin. And that hormone reinforces, uh, emotions. Uh, and, and it's often been called sort of the feel good hormone. So it nurtures attachment and bonding, not just between parent and offspring, but non relatives or social group members. And, and it re- helps resolve conflict. So, so because affection helps, um, modulate that tension I mentioned between cooperation and competition. Mm-hmm. So there's a, you know, a slight concern that if we can't get hugs and we can't reinforce our social bonds, do we, do we pull more onto the side of competition instead of cooperation? It really, it also helps resolve conflicts quickly. So many species, uh, if, after a fight, it's not that social animals don't fight. <laughs> of course they do. They have little spats. Uh, right. but other social species resolve conflicts very quickly. Like it's intolerable to have that tension. Right. And if anybody's lived in a household with someone who gives you the silent treatment for days or weeks, this is also torture and it's very unhealthy on, for both sides. And so other animals resolve conflicts much faster so that they reduce the tension that comes with living in a group and dealing with that kind of competition. And and so that's usually done by physical touch in some way or physical proximity. So there's either a hug given or, you know, quick groom or if you're not ready to, you know, Maybe couples have experienced this. You're not ready to talk or hug, but you'll sit on the couch together, right. a few feet apart. Right. Like vervet monkeys have that in their back pocket. Like, okay, I'm still mad at you. I know I got to make this better. I'm not ready for you to touch me. So, like, we're just going to sit next to each other at some distance that lets us know our relationship is still okay, even though I'm still mad at you. Right, right. So the silent treatment is a form of torture, Theoretically, when I'm performing stand-up, I could sue my audience. <laughs> I could. All right, oh, that's good to know. Well, well we're becoming would... increasingly isolated already. Right. Well, so I would say, right, that's already a problem, and we see that manifest in lots of different ways in social dysfunction. Right. We've already been seeing that happen, and so the question is, will this situation? make people realize how fundamental to our existence physical contact and comfort and 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 eye contact and body language is to to you know our phys- our well-being our mm-hmm. actual well-being and so i know that there are many people at home with kids and 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 the kids are anxious and the parents are anxious and i would say if you guys are all in the same family household There should be lots of positive, uh, you know, physical contact, lots of hugs, lots of, of, of empathetic contact for those of us that are alone and, but have pets. We know that, you know, dogs and cats, people who have pets, that physical contact is, it functions in similar ways. 
It is a stress reducer. But for those of us that live alone, I mean, one thing that we, we can try to do, it's not the same, but there are webcams of, of, of animals and, um, you know, you can do birding by webcam. You can do, uh, watch wild animal cams and, and seeing other, um, animals connect and raise their offspring can reduce your stress, raise your own hormone levels. It's not quite the same as a hug. A hug is like 20 seconds. You get that oxytocin, you know, jolt like a, like a, a Red Bull, you know, mm-hmm. into your system. <laughs> and, um, and, and so I know many people are doing pop up like coffee breaks and I would say keeping it positive and send and, and doing the motion of a hug or hugging yourself and saying, I'm sending you a hug. Right. Could right. potentially, you know, I have no idea of, of the physiological mechanism and whether it works or not. It's not the same, but, you know, it's something to try. Right. We have a lot of listeners who have insomnia. Uh, we have a lot of listeners who are alone. My advice is your TV is not your friend. It may be your enemy. I, I've been watching TV. I, I want human mm-hmm. connection. And I turn on the TV and they're selling me stuff. They can't help it. Rachel Maddow cannot help it. Lawrence O'Donnell cannot help it. They are selling me antipathy towards the Republican Party. This is Donald Trump's fault. They're not giving me information. They're giving me slant. And then they sell me pharmaceutical products. And they're not selling me what I really need, which is human contact, contact, authenticity, a real human being talking uh, right. to me. I do think audio is a much more powerful medium yes. when people are alone because uh, it it's, as Marshall McLuhan said, it's hot. It, it, it fires up your brain and your imagination. And television uh, is it just sedates you, you surrender to it, and it makes you feel frightened and inadequate. I mean, if you turn on the TV, you're going to be agitated and uh, really feel more alone. It's not, it's not comforting. It's not designed right. to comfort you. It's designed to excite you, make you feel... Uh, less than inadequate and buy something to correct whatever it is that's making you feel you're lacking. So yeah. turn your yeah. F, turn your TV off. I doubt people are <laughs> capable of doing that, I, including I me. Well, I disagree. I mean, I think, look, this is going to take a lot of cooperation, things we are actually built to do, right? <laughs> so we have a choice. Do, and this is what, you know, um, and, and in some sense, we don't have a choice. We're driven by if we feel resources are scarce, we will scramble and compete. This is what happens in all social species. So the distribution and availability of resources, the more stable and evenly distributed that can be, the better it is for fostering cooperation. If you're currently among one of the privileged and lucky ones who 
is still able to work remotely, can still uh, and and you have an extra whatever fifteen dollars, you know twenty dollars, uh, either buy a gift certificate for a restaurant or get some extra food if you're doing the the pickup or delivery and and drop it off at a church or a food bank somewhere so that we can keep that supply chain, which is also one of the problems we've had prior to this, Mm -hmm. okay? But this is now amplified. It's like big time. And so I think the more we can make sure everybody has what they basically need, the more we can reveal our cooperative natures, our ability to band together. We have a common enemy. This is the thing that's needed for coming together. The interesting thing is this is a global common enemy, right? So, so what, what, what I'm just going to pick a random country. What Spain does ultimately is going to impact the United States. What the United States does is going to ultimately impact uh, I, I don't know, uh, you know, Portugal, Germany or Portugal. Right. So so and that's not just limited to right now. It will continue for as long as this is a, a threat that is not um, able to be silenced. So so we by by understanding that and by embracing that and by coordinating our actions and globally cooperating, we have an opportunity to have a real shift happen starting in your local community is a, is a great way. I think that if some people rely simply on television, you're absolutely right. It's much more isolationist uh, just as it would be under normal circumstances. So maybe doing something different. There's museums that have opened virtual tours. There's 3 million or 300, I don't know how many hundreds of million or hundreds of thousands of books that have been made available. If you, if reading is your jam, start a little book club right. in your community, right? We all have these sort of neighborhood apps. So use that to say, Hey, anybody else interested in a, in a book club? And if you're fortunate enough to have internet, uh, then you could do some kind of audio or visual little discussion group. Make it not about this virus other than do you need something i have extra of this let's trade right Uh, we can we can trade what we've got Uh, instead of sell what you've got just say hey i've got extra of this does anybody need that because i need some of this and 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 that's sort of going back to the old days of your neighbor's got extra sugar and you've got extra milk and you just oh hey hey can i borrow a cup of sugar yeah all right hey can i have some milk sure Right. Okay. Right. Right. And so it's biblical. Scarcity is biblical and there is self-imposed scarcity. There's Lent. You give up something for Lent. There's Yom Kippur where you uh, fast for a day. There's Ramadan where you're supposed to fast throughout the day. Scarcity is is a lesson, a divine lesson. And you can use this, I believe, as an opportunity to explore what you really need. And this this could be a reset. I doubt Americans are capable of this. I doubt Americans are capable of 
using this as an opportunity to go through their credit card statements and say, do I really need Hulu, Netflix, and Amazon Prime? Do I really need uh, to buy this, to buy that? And what what do I really need to survive? Right. I think most of us are not up to that task. I think most of us will not come out of this realizing that People are more important than things. You know, that hug, that hug is free. Mm -hmm. That hug from your friend or your partner is free. So nobody is going to remind you. Nobody's going to pay $50,000 to advertise on NBC in prime time to remind you to hug because nobody gets rich off you know, they'll, they'll pay money to make you more huggable, but there are things that, there are things that are totally free, like taking a deep breath, meditating, reading, relaxing, being around people, spending extra time to cook your food, to pay attention to the, the food, to practice mindfulness, to say, wow, this food that I take for granted, is scarce. I, it's hard to, it's actually a lot harder to get. Maybe, I, maybe I shouldn't eat as much. Maybe I should only eat when I'm hungry. Exercise. Right. Exercise turns out it's kind of precious to be able to go for a walk. All the things that are tr like fresh water, all the things that we take for granted are the things we really need. And you look at what's on, look at your credit card statement. If you're brave enough, how much of that stuff do you need or even want? I doubt most of us are capable of, you know, I see it with myself. I, I'm trying to clean out closets mm -hmm. and just throwing out crap soaps from, you know, from the Ramada Inn that I stayed in in, in, <laughs> in Texas two years ago. Why am I saving this soap? Uh, so. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I will say that I got to tell you, there have been professional cuddlers as a business. So people do pay for hugs. Yeah. Which is, is really sad, actually, that, that you, you have to pay someone to hug you, right? So hugs aren't always free, apparently, in yeah. a capitalistic society, <laughs> right? Um, we, we did, so a, we did a segment on, on the Ralph Nader radio hour about skin to skin contact and professional hugging and cuddling, that it is a serious problem for adults yeah. that they don't have skin-on-skin -skin contact. Before you go, cabin yeah. fever. If you're lucky enough to be sharing your space with somebody, yep. you said to me before we started that Senor Buttons, your cat, was getting sick of you. <laughs> do, do pets get sick of their... I don't want to say owners. Uh, I don't want to say companions. Mad. Companions. Yeah. So okay. So I won't. I wouldn't classify it as they're totally sick of you. I would say that recognize that all social animals, including our companion animals, still want a little bit of alone time, and so they should have a safe place anyway where they can go and be by themselves. So don't force forced hugging, forced cuddling is is really as unpleasant as forced tickling right mm -hmm. so so ro ra rats like to be tickled 
But if they are not feeling like being tickled, it turns pretty, you know, it, they may not like it so much. Just like people, I, I, you know, you can torture somebody by tickling them. So I think that what I'm saying is that I try to be as uh, attuned to Senor Buttons. And if I'm feeling like I need a hug or want to snuggle with him uh, and he expresses like, nah, I think I want to just go chill out over here. Um I let him chill out over there, even though I might be in the room and he's got his little spots. So make sure that your companion animals have spaces where they can go and just chill because that's what they also did when you went to work all day. Mm-hmm. So most of them will be thrilled that you're home, but that doesn't mean that 24 seven you know, think about it like your kids or your spouse. If if I had another human in my apartment, which is pretty small, I would be in much worse shape than I am right now, right. despite the fact that I'm really craving wanting a hug. Right? right. So so I think that there's this balance and recognizing that your companion animals are individuals with their own little quirks and schedule. And so don't throw things off too much for them. And you know, let them move in the space as they also need to. And maybe things are noisier because everybody's home and that's right. stressful for them. Right. So I, you know, I think just. Now, just it's interesting re- that, that you're so smart and so well-spoken and so well-educated. You're a doctor, you have a PhD, you're an animal behaviorist. And with all the knowledge that you have, you you still decided on a cat instead of a dog. It's like how could they don't teach common sense in our universe? Do you do you think there's actually a dog that you could be sharing your space with who would ever say back off? I'm not in the mood. Oh my gosh, I had a Great Dane. So I didn't like in some ways. Buttons, Senor Buttons' mother chose me. Right? This happens frequently with cats. They're like, okay, I like your house. I think I'm gonna just be part of mm-hmm. your family. And if I have to tolerate you, you know, okay. Um, him and I have a very special bond. And even you know, he's sort of like looks at me like, why are you still here? Mm-hmm. And and so I go out for a walk and I come back and he doesn't come to the door anymore to greet me. He's like, mm-hmm. I don't really see the point of celebrating yeah. your home because yeah. you're always home. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, I had a Great Dane and and he was it was so I could never get any work done. He I couldn't watch TV without him like deciding he was on my lap. Uh-huh. I couldn't go to the restroom alone. I couldn't, um, you know, uh, sleep my bed. He was 185 pounds and he had his side of the bed and I had my <laughs> side of the bed and every, um, but listen. And, and so I used to spoon my Dane. It was great. He was, he was about six feet long, nose to tail. Right. And, but, but every now and then, because he was who he was. I, if I had to get up in the middle of the night, I'd come back and he'd be in my side of the bed. It was mm-hmm. like a statement. And and Buttons is doing the same thing nowadays. But, but <laughs> you know, I had a roommate and I would argue with my Dane. I, mm-hmm. I, I would say, get out of my spot. And he'd be like, <laughs> and I'm like, move or nobody is sleeping. And in the morning, my roommate would say, what is wrong with you? I heard you arguing with the dog. <laughs> In the middle of the night, I'm like, well, nobody takes my side of the bed. You understand? It's just, no. 
and and but buttons, senior buttons, same thing. I get up in the middle of the night. I gotta use the restroom. I come back. I have to feel mm-hmm. my side of the bed because he's moved because it's warmer, and. And so I'm like, okay, it's fine. I regularly shift now oh, hey, to accommodate let, let my me cat. Bring He's ben, trained me. <laughs> let me bring Ben Burgess in. He's my next guest. We'll, we'll do a, let's say hello. Hang on. Okay. Professor? Uh, by the way, do pets, uh, have, we, have we determined whether or not pets do pass on the the virus? Or um, not? I believe the, um, <clears throat> the uh, final word from the who was no, they do not. Right. I mean, I think that why are we can... listening to Daltrey and Peter Townsend on the coronavirus? Hang on for one second. Ben Burgess just joined us. <laughs> Hello, Professor Ben Burgess. We're talking with Dr. Jennifer Verdeland and Professor Ben Burgess joins us. Are you there, Professor? I am. I was wrapping up with Dr. Jen and we were talking about isolation and Dr. Jen is saying that we all need hugs, and she's isolated in Tucson, Arizona. And it just felt right to bring you on instead of just saying, thank you, Dr. Jen. Uh, <laughs> we'll create a little community here. <laughs> nice to nice to be on with you, Dr. Burgess. All right. Nice to be on with you. <laughs> Professor Ben Burgess is author of... Give them an argument, logic for the left. He teaches philosophy at Perimeter College, Georgia State University. He's a columnist for Jacobin. You can see him every week on the Michael Brooks Show doing the debunk. Welcome, Dr. Ben Burgess. Thanks, David. How are you holding up? Oh, I'm okay. Uh, A little stir-crazy maybe, but, you know, I'm all right. Now, uh, you have a, a dog, I believe, correct? Uh, I do, yes. Now, isn't it interesting that you, a philosophy professor, knew to get a dog, but Dr. <laughs> Jennifer Verdelin, who has a Ph.D., <laughs> animal behaviorist, who studies animals, is with a cat instead of a dog. Would you like to explain to the good doctor why she was wrong for getting... Tell, tell, tell us... Why a dog makes a much better companion. I, I, I know we're piling on Dr. Jennifer Verdelin. I know you feel. That's okay. But explain why a dog is so much better in a crisis. <laughs> well, we actually have one of each, so, um, so <laughs> the dog's this one. Uh, now, Dr. Jennifer Verdelin, we did, we did agree that a cat would eat you, right? <laughs> well, a dog-, a dog would eat you too, okay, just to be clear. Other animals will eat people and see them as food. And there was a study that there was a actually there was a, a, a situation not too long ago where some, I think it was Great Danes, were chowing down on their owner. So, but, you know. But, but dogs don't. <laughs> Cats plan to eat their own. <laughs> Dogs do it out of necessity, right? I mean, that's a fair statement. Well, no, I don't know. I would, I would turn this over to to Ben and say, do you see your cat looking at you differently than your dog these days? <laughs> no, honestly, I think they're both just happy that we're home so much right now. Yeah. Uh, let, let's try this because I do, I, I do want to ask 
Dr. Ben Burgess some serious questions, but he is the author of Give Them an Argument, Logic for the Left. <laughs> Would you like to moderate a debate between me and Dr. Jennifer Verdelin? Cats, cats v. Dogs? Should we do a five-minute debate? And we actually have like a, a, an, an important learning, a teaching moment here where we teach people how to debate properly? <laughs> Are you up for this challenge, Doctor? Doctor Ben Burgess? Well, I, I don't know that your other debater is up for it. I think she's afraid. I think she's part of the expression "chicken." I think she knows that I just can't, resolved. No, I'm in. I'm in. Okay, resolved. Right. Resolved. Dogs are better than cats. <laughs> now, what no. do we do? Teach us how to debate. Seriously. All right. Well, well, you're you're arguing for the affirmative. You should go first. Okay. And what is the format? How does this work? <laughs> well, we've got five minutes, so uh, so let's let's do uh, let's try to keep the opening statements down to a minute. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. I think dogs are better than cats because dogs have evolved through time to become true companions to human beings, whereas cats, they've done the DNA check. Cats have not evolved. Cats refuse to change. You cannot alter them. You cannot breed cats to become true companions to humans. The DNA of dogs has changed over time to make them almost our our lovers dogs are better they're kind they're gentle they if you're if you're dead they'll stand by you and guard your body until help comes dogs are just better they're better dr verdolin um okay so i i take issue with s several points the first is that cats actually their dna their ancient dna actually has evolved to make them our domestic companions the better thing about dogs than cats is they did this on their own. They were smart enough to You're realize cats that cats did that on their own. Yeah, cats domesticated themselves and they are the original service animal. They uh basically are agricultural stores clear of rodents, right? So so they were they they wormed their way into our lives by by giving us something. Dogs did that too. It was protection. So that's helpful. But it's an incorrect to say that cats did not have their DNA changed to become companion animals. It's about 9,000 years ago. They, they wisened up to, to how we could all help each other. And I think that, uh, cats may not make the greatest protection from intruders for us or alert us to danger, but they keep our houses clean of rodents. And, uh, yeah, so I think that cats are smarter because they domesticated themselves. Cats can do everything that dogs can do, only better. And now what do I, how does this debate go? So I respond <laughs> to her? How does this? Yeah, well, all right. So she, uh, it sounds like she really undermined your argument from evolution, but she says the cats can do everything dogs can do, but better. What do you have to say to that? Well, she says that cats are necessary inside the house because they can rid the home of rodents. I say cats are rodents. Maybe they're not. Their taxonomy isn't rodent, but I rather have a, a, a rat in my house because at least I don't have to change the rat's box. I mean, this is a, a cat 
I've never had a rat who clawed my furniture, who who (laughs) peed on a rug, and I had to throw the rug out because I couldn't get rid of the smell. A dog has the decency to go outside, do his business outside. A cat, a cat does it in your in your home, and 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 it smells. And even if you do clean up after it and, and clean the box, they go in your bathtub anyway. However, I have to say that at least I can use a scooper and I'm not outside with a little bag in my hand picking up warm dog shit. So we have to clean up after dogs, but it's kind of grosser. Yes, they're not in the house, but if you clean your litter box for your cat pretty they won't go in your bathtub. Nobody stinky toilet. Not people and not cats. So if you... Do the upkeep. It's wonderful that you don't have to go walk your cat every four hours and then stand there with a bag of poop in your hand and walk around with it so you can find a trash can. I think uh, I think they're actually you know, they groom themselves. They you know they 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 use the the proper toilet if you keep it clean and have enough of them. If you have multiple cats, uh, as far as destroying furniture and objects, I tell you. A dog that is teething, uh, like I had a Great Dane, he chewed my wall. I've never had a cat chew my wall and, and chew a <laughs> hole in it, okay? And and just to prove the point of smarter, my dog thought that charcoal, which smelled like the steak that my roommate had cooked on it, this was years ago, he ate the entire thing of charcoal which people might realize that if you use charcoal and eat it, it causes projectile vomiting. So not only did my my Dane, uh, you know, sometimes have bouts of diarrhea in the house and didn't use a litter box like my cat, uh, he ate a whole bucket full of charcoal and vomited projectile through my entire kitchen. So okay. are we going to uh, obey that? I'm going to have to. Uh, I'm going to have to declare Dr. Vertle in the winner oh, here. I, no, yes. no, no. I, hang on. I have to I'm, respond. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's been it's been five minutes. Uh, it seems <laughs> like she, uh, you know, she really she really addressed uh, your points about about evolution and litter boxes. Uh, remember the the resolution wasn't. Um, you know, wasn't cats are better than dogs? She wasn't the one who had to prove prove her case, right? You know, you the resolution was dogs are better than cats, and I don't think that's been established. May, may I yes. have a closing statement? May I at least have a closing statement? All right, sure. well, well, a brief closing statement. Dogs are better than cats because dogs are not a health hazard. Dogs make you go outside to walk them. That's good cardiovascular. Dogs. They clean your house. They eat from the cat box. <laughs> they, they do. It's a delicacy. They eat from the cat box. That I, I mean, I've eaten from my cat box. I wouldn't call it a delicacy, but my dog thinks it's a delicacy. He, so they, they clean the house for you. It's like a Roomba plus taxoplasmosis. Mm. That's my closing argument. Taxoplasmosis. And, okay. and, and and I think and I I'm is it I ad hominem Ben I Professor Ben I I don't mean to attack the opposing side but I think 
the person I'm debating is suffering from taxoplasmosis. <laughs> um, I just want to, I'm sorry to have to say this, but it's toxoplasmosis. So no. Taxoplasmosis. No. That's a, it's a new thing that you haven't heard of. <laughs> where cats, cats are, 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 they're taxing you. They're taking 15% oh. of your, of your money without you knowing it. I see. Well, I just want to, if I'm allowed, just 30 seconds, I will say that, that a dog eating from a cat litter box is more of a neurotic sign of strength and, and betterment. Um, and, you know, one can walk their cat. It might be not as aerobically challenging <laughs> as a dog. But, um, <clears throat> and as for you know, being, uh, you know, succumbing to a parrot, it is known to affect our personalities and our behavior in different ways, especially risk-taking behavior. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're more likely to gamble more and, and take more risks if we've been exposed to toxoplasmosis, but it's gender-specific. So, um, anyway, I don't think you won. I think I still take the win. I'm going to go with that. <laughs> and uh, and I'm happy to leave you guys now to to. For your discussion, I loved the debate. I love winning, and I was on the debate team in high school. So, you know. Fantastic. Dr. Jennifer Vertolin is an animal behaviorist. You can follow her on Twitter by going to Real Dr. Jen. And she is the author of two books that everybody should go out and buy. I don't have them in front of me. Actually, I do, but since I lost the debate, I don't feel like, I don't feel, I don't feel like, uh, I want to. Well, that's okay. That's okay. No, I, I feel, gonna... I feel you humiliated me and, uh, you took advantage of me because I'm stupid. I'm not, You're as not stupid. I'm not as, you made me feel stupid. Dr. Jennifer Verlin <laughs> is an internationally recognized animal behavior expert. And her two books are Wild Connection, What Animal Courtship and Mating Tell Us About Human Relationships, and Raised by Animals, The Surprising New Science of Animal Family Dynamics. Sign up for her <laughs> newsletter. Go to jenniferverdelin.com. Thank you so much. I would. Thanks so much. And, and it was fun being on with you, uh, Dr. Ben Burgess. <laughs> All right. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, even though you won the debate, you should still get a dog. All right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Goodbye. All right. Thank you, doctor. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. Well, joining us is a uh, a traitor to his gender. I think I should have you should have sided gender? with me. Yes, you're you're a gender traitor, and uh, but that's okay. That's okay. I I understand. Doctor Ben Burgess is author of "Give Them an Argument: Logic for the Left," and he writes for Jacobin. So, I am starting the show talking to an epidemiologist who says this is it this is the big pandemic we <laughs> everything's going to change and do you get a sense that people are using this for their own agenda and i say that because from the, from the hey, hey david I'm, you're, you're, I'm sorry let's are we breaking up yeah, break. Let me call you back. I'll call you yeah. back. Okay, thank you. You're listening to The David Feldman Show. 
friend me on Facebook. Hello? Oh, I called Dr. Oh, sorry. I was calling Ben Burgess. I'm, oh, sorry. I, goodbye, yeah, I'll, you. I'll I think um, you. You called me again. <laughs> yeah, bye. Boo. All right. Ben Burgess. Okay. All right. I accidentally called Dr. Jennifer Vertolin instead of you. <laughs> uh, okay. Are you there? Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I can hear you. Can, can you start from the beginning of the question? The beginning of the question is, it, looking at this pandemic from the top down and from the bottom up, from the bottom up, if you're looking at this pandemic, it's an opportunity to change our public health infrastructure to say, aha, I told you so, Medicare for all, and we need a strong government. From the top down, that's what really scares me, and I, I'd like you to address this. In an yeah. age of nationalism, anti-globalism, isn't this pandemic a godsend to people who want to control the masses? Uh, yeah, perhaps so. Uh, although it's also, um, you know, it's, it, I think it's a very mixed bag for them because it, you know, it makes them look like they're not, they don't know what they're doing, right? Uh, and, um, and also, of course, we need, um, you know, there's really no way to get through it without, um, international cooperation and assistance. So, uh, like one thing that I found very striking uh, this week is if you watched the debate on Sunday, uh, Joe Biden said in the debate that, well, Italy uh, has, you know, has socialized medicine and they were still struggling with it. So that proves that Medicare for all wouldn't and, do anything. And Bernie didn't respond to that. Uh, no, no, I think it took him by surprise, um, which uh, which which is unfortunate. Right. You know, it should have uh, what he um, you know what he what he should have said uh, is is that Italy because they have uh, because they have socialized healthcare system they started out in a much better place than they're starting than we're starting out right they they had more hospital beds per people uh, you know nobody had to like pay for testing etc uh, and actually it's it stopped it from becoming a much bigger crisis there but also it's really it's really one thing that many people point out is really striking is Biden said this on Sunday uh, and um, on Monday uh, the United States transported uh, half a million uh, coronavirus tests that were given to us by Italy um, so the the fact that they uh, the fact that that they actually have um, have the you know corona swabs to uh, to spare right you know in in the middle of the crisis you know says something very positive about their healthcare care system. Uh, but it also says something more generally, which is which is that I mean it's it's not um, you know if you're if you're a, a Trump or you know or his equivalents around the world you know you might like the fact that uh, uh, you know you might like the fact that you can exercise certain kinds of social control during the pandemic, but uh, it also makes a mockery of your claim that you know um, your country can just go it alone. Mm -hmm. Well. You taught me about accelerationism. Is that how it's pronounced? Yeah. And yep. I ended up talking to Professor Harvey J.K. We were talking about you and accelerationism. Uh, from the bottom up, 
a lot of people say things like, well, this, now things are going to get worse, and finally everybody's going to see the light. But you taught me about accelerationism last week. Can you speak about that? Remind yeah, us what it yeah. means, and does it yeah. bode well for seeing the light? Uh, yeah, so accelerationism... Um, is at least in this in the sense that I'm using the word like is is uh, as like a sort of position on left wing strategy uh, is the idea that um, that like we should actually want things to get worse because like they have to get worse before they get better because if things get bad enough everybody will see the light right you right. know that uh, uh, like for for example in uh, 2016. Uh, Susan Sarandon, sort of. I mean, she kind of, she kind of said, "Well, I'm, you know, she." Some people are saying this. It wasn't quite clear that she was saying this, but anyway, she, she said, like, you know, if, if you know, if, if Trump is elected, things will be so bad that, like, then there'll be a revolution, and like that'll be good. Uh, or and um, and I think that the I think that the history of, of accelerationism. Uh, is not promising uh, that uh, generally, you know, because if certainly if you look at classic examples like, uh, you know, there's a point in the in the early, um, you know, the early 30s when like the uh, the Communist Party in Germany thought that like, uh, you know, it was fine, you know, if, mm -hmm. if Hitler came to power because uh, because then, um you know, because then people would see how bad that was, and you know, and that would lead to uh, and that would lead to communist revolution. Right. Uh, knock Hitler uns, you know, after Hitler us, uh, and and it it never seems to work out that way, or it certainly doesn't usually seem to work out that way, because I think that like in really simple terms, we could see with like the Trump example, um, and it's it's kind of tragic because I'm I'm seeing online at least. Um, and a couple of weeks ago, we would have said online isn't the real world, but right now online is pretty much what we got. Uh, it's, I it's, used to say the real world is what we got with dis <laughs> with disdain. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, but like I'm, you know, online I'm seeing a lot of I think maybe. I'm seeing a lot of very enthusiastic leftists who I think might be might be very new to politics, right? I'm not mm -hmm. saying that as an insult. Everybody has to be, everybody has to start out being new to it, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but um, saying things like, well, uh, if, if Trump is, is reelected, uh, then, um, then that'll like actually be good long term because it'll be like the final destruction of, you know, centrist Democrats, whatever. And, and that seems very naive to me because, uh, again, people, you know, say similar things about electing Trump the first time, but uh, it doesn't. The effect of the effect of electing monstrous right-wing Republicans never actually seems to be that it turn, you know, that like it just turns everybody uh, into a super leftist. What it means is that. Um, People are so desperate to to go back to the way things were before that they'll they'll support somebody like Joe Biden, right? You know, uh, mm -hmm. and uh, and I don't see any reason to think it would work out any differently if Trump were reelected. I think that if Trump were reelected, um, 
which he he might you know he might very well be at this point, right? Like I, I think I'm, by I'm, a landslide. I think if this crisis, if the pandemic, if we flatten the curve, yeah, I get, he gets reelected by a landslide. Yeah, I mean, like I, I've gone I've gone full circle on this because when uh, when it first started to become clear that Biden was winning, I thought. Oh, Trump is going to eat this guy alive because you know Trump is an insult comic and and Biden is like hilariously senile and mm-hmm. tragically senile, uh, both of them. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's you know, funny in a dark way. Um, and then when this started to happen, I was like, okay, apocalypse, plague, economic downturn, that'll be enough to get Biden in, you know, to stumble in through you know through the door. But then when uh, now, when it seems like the Republicans are actually talking about doing some kind of uh, UBI, uh, you know, cutting everybody a check during the crisis and um, and, and Trump ordered the uh, housing and urban development to suspend um, uh, evictions, uh, I am starting to get real worried that Trump is going to win um, because I think that if he can – I think that if he can run as the populist, mm-hmm. uh, then then he wins. I mean, it's, like that's like, yeah, it's Peronism, basically. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so so yeah, if tr- if Trump wins again, which unfortunately right now, I mean, who knows? A lot could change between now and November. But right now, it looks to me like he probably will. Uh, then uh, I don't see that being very helpful to to the left because it seems like well what's going to happen um you know if if trump gets to um appoint more you know supreme court justices for example if uh, if if trump you know if if more um you know if more things that freak out liberals and leftists happen uh then by the time it's done we're going to be you know, a lot of people are going to be very easy marks for, oh, like the next Obama, right? Like they were after eight years of Bush, right? Like Obama, um, Obama did some like vaguely progressive and peacenicky signaling, but if you if you remember that campaign, I mean, he never really said he was going to do anything that you know that was all that great, right? I mean, he's he's pretty vague during the election, and you know, anybody who's paying attention uh, knew that you know. Or should have known, right? That Obama was a centrist, but um, uh, but people weren't looking very closely because after eight years of Bush, uh, anybody who looked like a, a sort of shiny, charismatic Democrat who could win, um, you know, was was going to be very appealing for a lot of people. And I I, I I wish it were not so, but I don't see I don't see any reason to think that it wouldn't play out in a similar way now. Yeah. Do we have any? Do we have any vocabulary in America for people to concede, to admit they're wrong? Does George W. Bush ever admit he's wrong? Well, uh, he did at the very end. Do you remember that, that last press conference? Uh, Because, like, there had been... as I remember it, there was famously a, a press conference where somebody asked him if he, if he could think of any mistakes and he couldn't think of any. Right. Um, and then I think he was widely mocked for that. But that there was a press conference at the very end when uh, he was asked the same question. 
And he was like, well, it was uh, weapons of mass destruction. <sighs> Katrina, that was bad. And it sort of sounded like all of the horrible shit that had happened to him in the last day. It happened in the last eight years was just now occurring to him. Right. But then they they come to their senses and kind of uh, renege on their apology. Alan Greenspan, at the height of the financial crisis, testified either before a House banking committee or a Senate banking committee. Yeah, I think it was the Senate, but yeah, we were talking about it. He said there's a flaw in his model. Yeah, there was a flaw in his model. And uh, but then they go back to believing what they believe. They don't they don't become Alan Greenspan doesn't then move to the left. He just says, yeah, if capitalism failed, we rescued it. But it's all better now. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, look, there's, there's somebody, somebody like, uh, somebody like Greenspan, uh, you know, George W. Bush, like, you know, these people are too, um, I mean, every once in a while, you know, someone does come around, you know, but, uh, uh, but like the, you know, it's not like, it's not like ordinary people changing their mind or not changing their mind, you know, people mm-hmm. who are in these positions, uh, they're too emotionally, and professionally invested uh, in in their in their politics to uh, you know to be able to afford to admit to themselves much less anybody else yeah. you know yeah. uh, that uh, that they were wrong and you know and change uh, and change course you know like if uh, um, you know it's 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 like that's why you know when it happens you know that somebody has somebody who's at that level makes some sort of dramatic political conversion you know make some sort of political conversion, it tends to be a very slow process because, um, you know, even, you know, so much professionally at stake and, you know, you have so much, you know, you have so much ego at stake, you know, like, uh, like Joe Schmo can, can, you know, go from having, you know, having one political position to another and it's not that big a deal, but, um, <coughs> you know, Alan Greenspan, uh, I know. I was just coughing. I, I, I wasn't going to say I, anything. I'm just I, I, I just had my temperature taken. I'm 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 okay. Okay. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna wash my headset just to be cautious. Sure. 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 Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, you know, green, you know, Greenspan can't do that. You know, like his he he knows what side of you know his bread you know bread is buttered on. Yeah. So. Have you been watching Donald Trump's press conferences on C-SPAN, the entire press conference? Uh, I've, I've seen a couple of them. Um, I, I, I saw, I saw the one, um, that's, uh, so. Where he brought uh, out the, the 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 great one was where he brought the guy from Walgreens and Walmart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything yeah. with a wall. He loves anything with a wall. Yeah, Walgreens, Walmart, CVS. I remember he said, you know, we all know CVS. You know, yeah. like he was parading all of the uh, all the corporate executives out. It, it really reminded me of um, uh, if you know, any of your listeners have ever read uh, David Foster Wallace's novel Infinite Jest. It's uh, uh, it's said in this like satirical future where um, 
where instead of having years be like have numbers on them like 2020, mm-hmm. uh, they uh, they sell off the naming rights to, to <laughs> companies. So you know most of the novel is set in the year of the Tux medicated pad. <laughs> You know, and that's all I could think about when, you know, when I was yeah. watching that press yeah. conference the year of the Tux medicated pad. You oh, know, that's, that's so you funny. Know. That's so funny. Uh, I've never read that. So, yeah. you know, I have an open mind. I'm terrified. I see our fearless leader introducing the head of Walmart and how they're going to have, they're going to open up the parking lots for testing. And I'm thinking, well, Maybe there is something to free market solutions. And then you find out, no, Google isn't building that website and Walmart isn't making these parking lots available. He's just an effing liar. And there's no such thing as a free market solution to a pandemic. It's off the, how frightened are you? Uh, pretty frightened. Um, but, like, but isn't that a form of control? I mean, don't you catch yourself saying, wait a second, they want us to be frightened, right? I don't know that they do because um, because part of the fright is is lack of confidence in them. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I certainly don't think they want that. Um, you know, I, I think I think they, they want to be uh, they want to be trusted in, in a way that they aren't right now. Um, and. And on the subject of you know of free market solutions, you know I, I think the most important point is is look I mean sometimes let's let's say let's say Walmart and Google you know were doing all that stuff that Trump said they were going to do. Okay, that's nice, um, but why should we have to rely on them to just decide to do those things? You know, uh, it's like. It's like when people talk about, you know, billionaire philanthropy, you know, it's like uh, even, you know, even when um, even when it's going to the right places, which, of course, often it isn't because, you know, billionaires whims often lead them to, you know, support all kinds of, you know, things that, um, you know, that are very bad. Right. Like, you know, charter schools. But like even when it's even when it's going to the right places, it's like, OK, that's nice that that billionaire decided to, to do that. Right. You know, mm-hmm. uh but but why should we have to, in order to accomplish important social priorities, why should we have to rely on the whims of a few individuals? You know, like that's like saying that like if uh, if like so, if you know you know that's like saying that if uh, you know if the creative this were going on when we still had monarchies, you know, uh, if if some kings were taking good measures. You know, to uh, to get a good like public health measures, then then like that would make it good that we had kings. You know, like I, I don't think I don't think we should have to rely on you know kings or uh, or billionaires or you know corporate CEOs to you know to just decide to do the right thing, especially especially when we know that there are so many pressures on them not to do that. Right? You know that they're um, that. Uh, that they, you know, that that wouldn't that wouldn't be particularly, you know, particularly cost effective, you know, for for them. So maybe they'll do some of that for good PR, you know. But um, even if they do a lot of it, right? I mean, like 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 wouldn't wouldn't you sleep easier if we could just decide to do these things because it's important for public health rather than you know rather than hoping that the uh, that the billionaires and the CEOs happen to do what lines up with our interests. Right. So I don't want to traffic in conspiracy theories. I, I, I'm just 
but I want to throw this out there. And yeah, a lot of people are saying that Ted Cruz's father killed JFK. Right. I always thought it was suicide. But, sure. Uh, so uh, it seems to me before the pandemic, people were waking up to capitalism. Seems like, you know, the gig was over. I think there was one study that showed Americans under the age of 30 had more trust in socialism than capitalism. Mm -hmm. uh, Marx says that capitalism will collapse under its own weight. Is it conceivable that these boom and bust cycles are, are baked in to the system to prevent it from collapsing under its own weight, that we saw a collapse of capitalism in 2008 and that the rescue saves capitalism from some other economic system and that, once again, some forces at work, I'm not trafficking in conspiracy theories, but I find it suspect that Capitalism was just about to collapse under its own weight, and instead a, a pandemic conveniently arrived for us to shut the economy down and start it over again. It, it does seem like it was incontrovertible. You could not make an argument for the status quo anymore. And... The pandemic is pretty convenient to come around at this moment where you can shut the economy down, reset it, and not question, well, not question I it. I, I mean, I think that, that one – okay, so, I mean, obviously, there one point to make about that is that we don't want to um, – uh, you know, we don't want to uh, – infer straight from uh somebody will benefit to from this to uh to you know to they uh they did it on purpose because that, nope. that's the that's the uh, express ticket to cloud cuckoo land but right um but also i'm not sure they are going to benefit from it because my understanding is that we are in pretty uncharted territory here right like let's say um you know, let's say nothing comes along to um, to alleviate this until the until the clock runs out for the uh, the uh, you know people who've already been injected. You know, the um, test cases who've already been injected with the vaccine that uh, that we were just going to have to wait. You know, until the um, the monitoring period ends for them, right? So um, you know, nothing's going to come along before that. You know that uh, lets us go outside, uh, other than to walk our dogs and you know go get groceries and stuff. Uh, okay, so so then we're we're talking about you know well over a year um, of nobody patronizing any kind of business that you can't patronize um, online or that's not like absolutely necessary. Uh, I don't think we know how how easy it's going to be to restart the economy after that right like like i i don't think we i don't think we have a lot of precedents to look you know to look to 
so so I, I I think that the I think that the assumption that we're going to be um, we're going to be able to to get uh, you know get through it and and as soon as you know as soon as it's over there's like some big Keynesian button that we can push and everything will be fine again uh, much less that 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 Keynes big Keynesian button is going to be pushed um, strikes me as you know. Uh, maybe true, right? But but I I don't I don't know how confident we could possibly be right now. I think the Republicans may embrace modern modern Terry theory. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, yeah, right. Or uh, I mean, right. I mean, they've always kind of, you know, they always kind of act as if it's true anyway. But uh, in um, but they might they might do so in some better directions now. Uh, and yeah, we, we have gotten some, you know, we have gotten some signs of that. I mean, like, and that's what, and this is the stuff that really worries me as far as the election goes. And of course, that's another thing that's uncharted. I mean, like, I honestly don't understand, like, if, um, if social distancing is still in force in November, I, I don't understand how the election even works anyway. Um, you know, like, uh, and, and, uh, and personally, yeah. Would you be okay? Like, were you okay with the president declaring a national emergency? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that's that's you know, I mean, like that that seems that seems appropriate. I mean, it's it's it is it is in fact uh, a national emergency. Uh, you know, if anything is, um, and and I, and you know, I mean, I know that word sad that phrase sounds ominous, but. Um, but I, I don't think it comes with, you know, I don't think it necessarily comes with all of the things that we might think, you know, just from like the sound, the sound of the phrase. But uh, but obviously, you know, if if we didn't have an election, that'd be way more ominous. Right. You know, or, or we put off an election in an unprecedented way. But I actually I, I mean, like, I, I seriously don't understand what the plan is supposed to be for that. Right. Like uh, or or if anybody really has one yet. Um I mean, I was joking around with a friend on, you know, I was Skyping with the other day and, uh, you know, saying like, okay, are we just going to have a Facebook poll for president or, you know, uh, what are we going to do? You know, I, I don't know. But, um, but assuming that we do figure out a way to have a normal election as scheduled in the fall, um, then, um, what really worries me is that right now, what I see is Mitt Romney, Talking about cutting everybody a thousand dollars, you know, and um, and Nancy Pelosi thinking that's too much. Nancy Pelosi said a thousand is too much. No, what she said, uh, what she has apparently said is that uh, is you know is that at least because I think there was a similar proposal that was like floated around the Democratic caucus, and my understanding is that she said. Uh, that uh, that she doesn't like the idea of of doing that universally. She thinks it should be means tested. Mm. Um, oh, they, and, they, it's funny how they can come up with means testing, but they can't test us for the coronavirus. <laughs> sure, right. And I mean, obviously, it's it's an abs- like you know the the idea that while this is going on, you would ask people to like you know fill out a bunch of forms to prove that they really truly need the money. Uh, and, and, you know, if you're a dollar above whatever the threshold is, you don't get it, you know, is, right. uh, 
you know, is insane, right? Obviously, if you're going to do it, you should just, you know, you should just cut it for everybody. Uh, for one thing that, you know, I mean, above and beyond all the standard lefty arguments gets means test in all of which are good and, you know, should mm-hmm. be applied here. But even above and beyond all that, right? I mean, like it's, it's, uh, I mean, this, if there's ever an all hands on deck crisis, I mean, this is it. So, you know, do you really want to like have like some big divisive thing about who's getting help and who's paying for it? Or, or, or do you want it to do something that's actually going to build social solidarity, you know, and then, you know, like we're, you know, not to be too cheesy about this all in it together. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I'm reminded of 9-11 and the terror that we felt and what we gave up to stop feeling terrified and where we went after we were terrified. We made big mistakes after 9-11. Patriot Act, torture, Iraq, Afghanistan. So... Well, there was also a lot of just... There's also just a lot of uh, stupid shit, for lack of you know, lack of a better uh, phrase. Like, um, like I, I saw somebody reminiscing about this the other day. That they said, um, you know, this person is younger than me. You know, they were in uh, uh, elementary school, and like they can't, you know, they didn't have a recess for a long time after 9/11 because I don't even know what, right? The, uh, you know, Al Qaeda was going to attack, you know, the playground, right. you know, like. Uh, that's and you know I remember um, uh, my little brother was in high school. There was like a school, you know, like English class, like school trip that was like right across the to like this see this like Shakespeare festival that was like right across the border in Canada. They they like canceled that like which like things like that that just make no sense. Right. Uh, you know, like 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 there's like literally two seconds of thought should tell you. That it's it's totally that there's no possible rational um, rational reason to uh, to do it. Uh, but I also think that one of the dangerous things about stuff like that um, is that you know if if people can tell that something like that is bullshit, then you know it's it's kind of like crying wolf, right? You know that you that like. Um, that you know, like if uh, like okay, so like a recent recent example, right? The TSA since coronavirus started has announced that the their stupid ounce rule is suspended for hand sanitizer, mm-hmm. uh, which of course they can do because it's uh, it was always meaningless security theater, right? You know, like what's the uh, there's no um, you know like. It's, uh, you know, there was, there was never any good reason to do it. So, you know, so of course you could easily do it and everybody, everybody senses that. Right. So, um, so I think that probably all of that stuff probably feeds into, uh, skepticism by some people right now that's like, Oh, do we really have to do all this? Right. Like, is you know, come on, like, you know, isn't this really just basically like the flu, you know, like, 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 do we, you know, does everybody really have to, you know, to stay inside for months and, you know, and all that and anything that you do um, and anything, which is why it's, I also think it's really dangerous. Um, like anything, you know, like this is, this is one of the reasons that you shouldn't do 
like arbitrary things for like the sake of security theater, or you shouldn't lie to people about what we, what you need to do. Because, uh, if you do that, then when something like this comes up, that's, uh, that's, that's actually real that like, you know, like the, it's not like, it's not like the idea that like, you know, Al Qaeda is going to attack, you know, your playground in Minnesota, right? Like we, we actually, we actually could have, um, you know, if we, if we just let it run rampant like the flu, we could have uh, millions of people die just in the United States and, and like 90 million around the world, you know, is the estimate that I saw. Uh, but, you know, but if, if people are used to being lied to, then they don't have trust in public institutions. Uh, and it's going to be really hard to, to tell them, you know, no, 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 this, this time we mean it, right? You know, right. I, I know all the rest of those times were bullshit, but like this time, you know, you really do have to take all these precautions. Yeah, last question. Have you been following Wuhan? Have you been following what's going on in China? Because they're saying that there are no no more cases, at least for two days now. They've had no reported cases. People say, yeah, but it's different because China's an authoritarian regime, to which I respond, you know, we have more prisoners per capita than China does. That's, that's true. Maybe, uh, maybe we're an authoritarian regime that can shut down the virus just as efficiently as China can. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, although, you know, actually on the subject of, of, of prisoners, you know, I mean, that's, uh, you know, like that's terrifying, right? Because I, I think that there's been so little testing that yep. I, uh, I'm, I'm like, once we get to the point where we're actually testing people in in our prisons, um, I, I'm really worried about that. You know, because uh, you know they, these places are overcrowded, hand sanitizer is often contraband. You know, so mm-hmm. uh, uh, the the intersection of coronavirus and and the carceral state could be terrible but um yep. but yeah look i don't think it's i don't think china you know i i don't think it's so much um you know that that they're they're authoritarian i mean obviously china is very authoritarian but um but like i i don't think that they're for the most part doing anything that uh, a country like the United States couldn't do, right? I mean, like, I, I think that they, um, you know, I mean, I think that that they, what they're doing, as far as I know, right, is a lot of social distancing and a lot of monitoring and a lot of testing. Um, and, you know, and, and if we could do that, right, I mean, like, we might actually have a best-case scenario here. It's, it like, the, it's worrying because... Uh, because a lot of, uh, because the, to the extent that we're successful, a lot of people are going to take that as a sign that all of this is unnecessary and, and then, you know, that might really backfire. But, uh, but there's, there's no, there's no reason that, that we couldn't, um, like that, that if, if, if enough of the population, I mean, the estimates I've seen, we don't even need everybody to do it, which is good because that's unrealistic, right? Mm-hmm. But if, if we get like 70, 75%, you know, compliance, uh, and, you know, we start getting a lot more tests in here, uh, you know, and, and, and we keep it, you know, we keep it locked down for long enough, you know, we, we could beat this and come out on the other side and, uh, 
and you know maybe uh, and maybe learn our lesson and when we can go outside and politically organize again we can get Medicare for all right right Professor Ben Burgess is author of Give Them an Argument Logic for the Left he's a columnist for Jacobin you can watch him once a week on the Michael Brooks show doing the debunk follow him on Twitter Ben Burgess what's your next column for Jacobin going to be uh, it's going to be about Cuba's response to the coronavirus. Really? Because I had Dr. Harriet Fraud on the show last week, and we were talking about Cuba and their health care system. I would assume they're doing a good job? Uh, yeah, they, they are. And they're also, um, you know, and, and of course, uh, they're also doing a lot to uh, to help other countries even. I mean, that's one of the remarkable things about Cuba uh, that, you know, that it's, it's a, it's a small, poor country that provides tremendous amounts of medical aid, uh, around the world. Um, so, so really, uh, really striking factoid, uh, and with this is that, uh, uh, Bolsonaro, the, the, um, uh, right-wing demagogue president of Brazil, uh, when he first came to power, he kicked out all of the, uh, Cuban doctors who had been working in the country, um, and, you know, just as a, you know, just as a political gesture. Uh, and now he's inviting them back. Ah, that's interesting. Well, but it's Cuba's an authoritarian regime. Who has more prisoners per capita, America or Cuba? Uh, America does. But Cuba's an authoritarian regime. You're not praising yeah. their literacy program, are you, Professor? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, 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 I actually, I actually have the, the position that you can, um, that you can simultaneously acknowledge, uh, that, um, that they, um, that it's, it's, that it's an authoritarian regime, that there are things about it that should certainly be criticized, um, uh, but, but also that they, they aren't, um, it's not mortar. You know, they mm -hmm. like, you know, like they, they do actually they do actually uh, do some things right. And then um, maybe we could actually praise them for it or even learn from it. Yep. Yep. Stay on the line, Professor Ben Burgess. Thank you, Professor. Thank you, comedian.